0: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to a special broadcast of the Mayor Culpa podcast. Well, folks, it's all finally happening. For the first time in our nation's history, an American president is about to go down for paying hush money to a porn star. So, booyah! Wednesday, Manhattan prosecutors from Alvin Bragg's office met with Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, the porn star who was paid $130,000 to keep quiet about her brief affair with Trump. Stormy's lawyer tweeted, "Miss Daniels responded to questions and has agreed to make herself available as a witness or for further inquiry if needed. Stormy also thanked her lawyer in a tweet for, and I quote, helping me in my continuing fight for truth and justice. Shit hit the fan in 2018 when the Wall Street Journal reported that I had negotiated a secret payment to Ms. Daniels shortly before the 2016 election. And as you know, I took the fall for individual one otherwise known as Donald J. Trump and spend some time in Otisville Prison for doing that bit of dirty work. But this week alone, I've met with the grand jury in this case twice, and I'm fairly confident that indictments should soon follow. At least seven other witnesses have also been interviewed by Manhattan prosecutors, including David Pecker of National Enquirer fame and Kellyanne Conway. Hey, let's not forget, Hope Hicks, too. District Attorney Alvin Bragg gave Trump the opportunity to come on in and to answer questions before the grand jury himself this week. But of no surprise, Trump declined. But the invitation is an indication that an indictment is close. And in typical Trump fashion, he lashed out at Alvin Bragg's investigation, calling the black Democratic District Attorney, I mean, get a load of this shit, a racist who is conducting a politically motivated, and of course, you know this word, witch hunt. Trump also still denies having his affair with Daniels. But here to tell us the truth, in her own words, is Stormy Daniels. So let's go now to that conversation. Well, how lucky am I today to finally have the opportunity, the first time since this whole nonsense started for me to be talking to you, right? Uh, Stephanie Clifford, also known as Stormy Daniels. What, what should I call you? You want me to call you Stephanie? Should I call you Stormy? No.
1: So that's, that's a big thing. Actually, my name is Stormy. And this was, it's, it's a whole other thing that I could go off on a tangent about, but you know, when the press started printing my real name, you never see them do that with other people like, you know, celebrities that use stage names and, they thought they had the liberty to do it with me because I worked in the adult business. And there was a big thing with the New York Times and I'm actually responsible for changing the, their policy on that because, I mean, I guess the perfect example of that is say I was transgender, they wouldn't insist upon using my birth gender for lack of a better term. So my name is Stormy. I make the joke all the time that the only person who calls me by my legal name is the IRS and my mother and I fucking hate them both.
0: OK, well, they have what because what's interesting is that you and I have actually and I've said this a thousand times in, in television media. You and I have never spoken before. No. We have never texted. We have never emailed. We've never communicated. And everything that had happened. And of course, we'll get into it. Um, I had done through Keith Davidson, your former attorney. Right. So we're going to jump right into it, Stormy. So as Trump leaves the presidency in shame he has left a trail of ruin in his wake with many lives destroyed. Now, both of our stories will be forever linked with Donald Trump, but also with one another. I'm curious how you felt on the inauguration, knowing that this would be the end of Trump. Did you feel some sense of vindication?
1: Um, yes and no. You know what I mean? It was To be quite honest, it was almost anticlimactic for me because my stuff is only really going to start kicking off now, because as you're probably aware, I think that a lot of the stalling that was happening in my cases and uh, my momentum was because this has never happened before. And the legal system and, and the powers that be, however you want to address that, didn't know how to do something to a sitting president. So everything was just sort of on pause. And I tell you, like the, I guess it was like the day after the inauguration, everything started blowing up again for me. Like I started getting, or people who work for me, I have yet to actually get a call, but people who work for me or former employees of mine started getting calls from like the Michael Avenatti's defense team. And, you know, they finally, they've set a date to set a date to talk about setting a date for the Supreme Court stuff. And all of, you know, my life was just in limbo and in hold because, they didn't know really how to do this. It was unprecedented, you know? So I think that my am I allowed to curse because I have to like really You people. you
0: most certainly can because <laughs> on okay. Maya Culpa, we do what we want here.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I think that my shitstorm had reached like a the eye of the storm kind of a lull and I believe that it's really just about to kick off again. And you know, so the day of the inauguration was both was sort of anticlimactic for me. Yes, I breathe a I have relief collectively because, you know, I'm a citizen of the United States and we all know what a shit show that is. And, you know, but at the same time, it comes with this apprehension that I have all these other obstacles that now it's go time on. And people are, you know, really upset and they're just going to get more pissed off at me. I know that second wave is coming. It had gotten a little bit quiet for a while. The death threats had sort of stopped, but as soon as this stuff, kicks back off again I I know that I'm in for just another a wave of it and a lot of people like I was out there so hard and went through so much and now that the people who didn't want you know that wanted Biden in office or that just didn't want Trump in office anymore um they're getting to kind of relax and forget no my battle's just not starting I don't know if you saw this but did you see that fucking Twitter just took away my verification
0: No, I didn't. Why'd they do that?
1: I have no fucking idea. So I was verified before this because, as you know, like I was, you know, active in the, you know, I had a pretty good name, well, a very good name before any of this even started. And I was already verified. And I don't think that it's a porn thing because all the other big porn stars still have their blue check marks. And they literally took mine away last week. And they said, oh, we sent you an email, but I have yet to receive an email or an explanation. And the problem with that is not just that, All these fake accounts are popping up of me to catfish fans and set up fake dates and ask for money because any star in any industry goes through that, you know, people pretending to be them. But I've had a couple of journalists email me for clarifications on quotes that I never gave because now they're catfishing journalists. And that's the last thing I need going into legal stuff.
0: Right. Well, since we're talking about legal stuff, your defamation case against the president or the former president is still pending before the Supreme Court. Now, many people are questioning your motivation in wanting to pursue the case. But I personally, I think it's important and will have a far-reaching implications on how First Amendment cases are examined in federal court. Can you remind my listeners what's at the heart of your lawsuit and what the intention is?
1: Yeah, and it's, it's, it's very complicated, and I actually went through a little bit of a personal journey with that as well. So when my former attorney... Michael Avenatti, um, filed that case. I will never forget that day because he had sort of mentioned it to me. And I was like, mm, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Do you know that I found out that that case was actually filed on Twitter? Like I read it on fucking Twitter. One of my bodyguards came up and was like, did you know about this? And I was like, no. And I was like, this is not something I want to get involved in. People, I believe in free speech. I don't agree with you, what you say, but I agree with your right to say it. You know, that whole thing. And over time, I realized that, no, this is something I do want to pursue because you are absolutely entitled to your opinion. So, Michael, if you were if you put up a tweet about me and you're like, I think Stormy's ugly. I think she's a bitch. I think she's whatever. Fine. You know, I might say, fuck you, but that's your opinion. You know what I mean? But he didn't just say an opinion. He called me a liar. And that is absolutely def- defamation, because I could say, Michael, I think you're ugly, or I think you're too fat, or I think you're too tall. But if I say, Michael, you're a thief, that's the difference. Do you understand what I mean? And I was like, no, he doesn't get to bully me again. And so it, you know, I, I have nothing left to lose. I've already lost everything. So I'm taking it all the way.
0: Well, it makes perfect sense. I mean, Michael Avenatti did the same thing to me when he started calling me a thug, and he started you know, basically creating a persona of me, which is absolutely, which is absolutely untrue. I mean, you are aware that I never went to Nevada during that whole garage scene um, where he claims that, you know, where, you know, the allegation is that there was somebody that chased you into a garage. You do, now, I will never say whether it's true or it's not. That I, that's why I have you here today. But I can tell you emphatically that, it was not me. I have never well, gone. No, it I, have wasn't never... You. I saw
1: the guy. I didn't look anything like you. You know what I mean? That was, I, I repeatedly said that I didn't think that it was you. Well, obviously it wasn't you personally. Like I was, I was a foot away from the man. He was not you. Um, he didn't look anything like you. He never said your name to me. I know that it wasn't physically you. Um, I didn't know if perhaps you had had a hand in hiring somebody cause you were absolutely known as you know, Trump's fixer. And I'm sure you hired people to do things that we don't need to discuss that you wish you hadn't or had or whatever. But I want to say that the timeline doesn't add up. I don't believe that you were actually employed by Trump. I was
0: I was not. And
1: I said that I was like, this doesn't make sense. Perhaps after the fact, you might know about it. Maybe somebody told you something and only you can answer that. But I always said I kind of thought it was a Like, I honestly, my opinion, and it's strictly my opinion and my gut feeling. I have no evidence of this whatsoever. My gut feeling based on the timing of the situation, just my intuition, and just the way the guy kind of, he he wasn't, he didn't look like a bodyguard. Like, he didn't look like a scary guy. You know what I mean? He was actually, I hate to say, really hot. And that was why I let him get so close to me, because I just thought he was another of the girls husbands looking say hey can you tell me where my wife's workout class is cuz he was actually super cute. He reminded me of my my husband. Uh he looked very approachable. I think that he might have been someone who was a, who worked at the publication or was just a, a fan, honestly. Um but that's what I wanted to ask you. I know that you weren't directly involved with it at the time. I know that it phys- obviously wasn't physically you don't look anything
0: like the man. Wait, wait, did, did you, I'm sorry, sorry. Did you just say that the guy was really cute?
1: Yeah, he looked like a well. Wait, okay. So what do
0: you mean? What are you trying to say that? What, what are you trying to say here? I mean, hey, prison will, I, prison will take your looks, you but said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me say this to you. Not only did I not know about it ever, mm-hmm. I never had any involvement in obviously going there myself or in any way, shape or form being involved with anybody that was involved in that um, episode that day or any other day with you. It's just not something that I did for him. And, we really didn't send people chasing after other people and in forms of intimidation. Yeah, I used to fix a lot of issues for Trump. They were basically through threats and intimidation of lawsuits, right? right. Or withholding payments from them because a the job wasn't properly done. But at no point ever in my entire tenure with Donald Trump did I ever send somebody to go physically intimidate another individual. It just, it's not my, it's its just not. It wasn't part of my job description. I didn't make it part of my job description. And despite what the media wanted to make me as, um, it just never happened. So you could rest assured from me to you. And I i would do it on a lie detector test, something that you know a little bit about. Um, never, it I had no hand in it. I had no involvement in it. And I'm not even aware that Donald Trump had a hand or involvement into it. To be very honest with you, I never heard even a single conversation about it. I would have liked to have known about it, especially at this at this juncture, but I have no knowledge of it whatsoever. If
1: you did, would you say so?
0: I would. I have no reason not to. Look, I stood before the House Oversight Committee for almost nine hours, and I told the country, I told the world, everything that I had known about Trump. The same thing where I turned around and I stated... That Donald Trump, you know, cheats uh, on, his, on his taxes. The same way I also right. told House Republicans, that, uh, or, and as well as the Democrats, that Donald Trump never beat Melania um, in, an, in an elevator. I told the truth. And, you know, that's what I will continue to do. Hi, folks. Michael Cohen here. And we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode. The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics. So if you need a break from the news cycle and you want to hear some incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, you have to check it out. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. So check out last Thursday's episode with behavioral expert Thomas Erickson, author of Surrounded by Psychopaths, How to Protect Yourself from Being Manipulated and Exploited in Business. I could have used some of these tips when I was dealing with, yeah, you know who, Donald Trump. I also listened to a recent episode where Jordan talks with science writer Eric Vance and discusses the science of the brain and suggestively, which left me, God smacked and wondering how times i had been deceived in all manners. All, in all, fascinating stuff. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life whether that's an actionable routine change that you boost your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy this show, and we think you will as well. So search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B, as in boy, I-N, as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I have a
1: question for you. I want to know why that question wasn't even asked.
0: Let's, let's do this for a second. Let's do this. You're going to be a House Republican, and I'm going to be back, and I put my hand up. I swear to <laughs> tell the truth. What's the question?
1: Mr. Cohen, did you have any knowledge of Donald Trump sending someone to intimidate Stormy Daniels and her child? Do you believe that's true?
0: Absolutely not.
1: So why do you think that wasn't asked?
0: Why do I think it wasn't asked? Well, I don't, I can't give you the answer for why the Democrats, somebody didn't ask that question, but I can tell you why the Republicans refused to ask that question. They didn't want to ask a single question about Donald Trump. All they wanted to do was to follow Donald Trump's game plan, something that I basically created, and that was to denigrate me, to call me a convicted liar, to attack my credibility, thinking that that was going to do a benefit for him. And obviously, we all know that it didn't work.
1: Welcome to my world.
0: Yes, yes, both of our worlds. Um, I mean, we both, unfortunately, had our worlds turned upside down by, you know, Captain Chaos. That's certainly for sure. You know, Stormy, I wanted to ask you, since we're already, you know, now getting warmed up into this thing. Were you surprised to hear that I wanted to have you come on my show?
1: Um, Yes and no, because there was some talk a few months ago about you coming on to a show with you know, me and my then co-host, John. Um, and then my show just kind of took a hiatus. Um, so yes and no, I, you know, I was a little surprised. I didn't know if you were, you were brave enough to do it. Cause I know that there had been talks before, but then I found out that you wrote quite a bit in your book, which I quite honestly have not had a chance to read yet.
0: That's not very nice because I read your book while I was in prison. Yeah, I I did. It was actually um, it was actually a favorite of many of the people. But I do want to ask you this: How would you rate your life at this moment in time? Is it better or worse than 2015? Because you know, Stormy. In all fairness, you and I both went to went through hell and back, and you had yourself doubted at every turn, and were basically hounded by hordes and scores of folks who wanted to either silence you. Or to use you for their own agenda. Now, I should state off the, you know, right off the rip, as we say in prison, that I'm sorry for the needless pain that I put you through. If, you know, if in fact that's how you feel, because that's how I feel. Obviously, I know I put you through um, needless pain and um, uncertainty in your life and your day. And for that, I really am truly apologetic, you know, onto it. How do you rate your life at this moment?
1: Um, it's hard to put a number on it because, you know, I'll just be completely, brutally honest. In some ways, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's a lot better. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say everything was horrible because that's dishonest. You know, because of the situation, I'm not going to lie. I got to become a best-selling author. I got to go to places I would never get to go. I got to travel across the world. I got to meet really cool people. I got to go to fancy things, you know, so that's, I'm not going to say every day was terrible because those things are fun, right? That's just me being honest. But overall, if I could just wave a magic wand and make everything go back to the way that it was before, I would absolutely do that. Because what people refuse to believe is that they think that I did this on purpose, that they think that I was washed up or a gold digger. First of all, if I was a gold digger, you can, you can back me up on this. I didn't negotiate The money I would have been like, I would have asked for a lot more. I would, I just wanted it over. I didn't want my husband to find out. Um, But I had a life and a beautiful house in a quiet neighborhood in Texas and nobody knew who I was. And I was very, very successful and into my horses and horse showing at the time. And I could go to these events, which I trained very hard for. I was ranked eighth in the country when the story broke. And nobody knew that I was Stormy Daniels because I rode under a different name. And I had a daughter that could go outside and play with her friends and go to pony club events and things without people knowing what her mom did for a living. I was the second highest paid adult film director in the business. I had just signed two weeks before that a very lucrative contract with Brazzers, which would have put me very high up in the game. I love, love, love writing and directing films. That's my passion. I worked 10 years to solidify my reputation and be taken seriously as a female performer turned director. I had just wrapped a big music video, which was never released because the band didn't want to be associated with me. Um, So I had everything good. I was making a lot of money and under the radar. I had a husband and a daughter and a family and horses and dogs and friends and and all of that stuff. And it was great. And I would fly to LA for three days every month and make my money and come home and live this fantastic life. I didn't need this. And people are like, oh, it's because you were washed up and you wanted to revamp your adult film career. Do you know how much money I was offered to make Trump parody porn? And I turned it down. I never did it. So clearly I wasn't doing it to boost my career. And... There were I got 17 AVN award nominations the week the story broke, like I was doing just fine. You know I was very happy and successful. And what people the hardest part about it is, yeah, I made a lot more money, but I spent a lot more money. You know, legal fees, uh, personal security. I left my home because there's news trucks parked in my yard, and they didn't. To this day, I don't believe anyone's gotten a photograph or the correct spelling of my daughter's name. The price I paid for that was not laying eyes on my fucking child for six months. And I was, I was mostly a stay at home mom before that I was gone, you know, maybe five to six days a month. The rest of the time I was 24 seven with my daughter and she was homeschooled, not because of this. She was already homeschooled and she traveled with me to horse shows. I had this great life. And what people don't realize is that the hardest part about it isn't what people call me on the internet. I have really tough skin. I don't, you know, have a dad or brothers or sisters that I need to worry about. I don't go to church. So I wasn't worried about being ostracized because being in the adult film business, what are you going to call me a slut? Be more creative. I've heard it. You know what I mean? It was the people that were closest to me. Um, a lot of them, you know, we didn't talk politics. I wasn't very political. So, you know, out of my group of what I considered friends and family, three things happened. Either they completely stopped talking to me because they were Republican or Trump supporters. And some of them, I didn't even know because we never discussed it. So they like instantly hated me. And then there were the ones that were my friends forever. And now they're suddenly treating me like a circus freak. You know, I went to this Christmas party that was at a friend of mine's house that I'd gone to for every year before that. And, She was like, "Come to the party." I knew everybody there. That's all people from the equestrian world, and literally, people were filming me at the buffet and like asking me to take pictures with them and sign them. I was like, "These are people I know," and they just, you know. And so that's weird enough. People suddenly are like, like fawning over you that you're like, "You saw me shoveling horseshit last week." You know what I mean? The hardest part is the group of people. The, you know, the group of friends that I just never heard from again, because they don't know how to react to me anymore.
0: Yeah, I do want to ask you because you brought up the $130,000. And I was always curious. You're right. If you were a gold digger, you certainly would have asked more. And I must have been asked that question a million times by different journalists. Wait, Donald Trump is a billionaire. Why in the? How did you manage to get away with hundred and thirty thousand dollars?
1: I didn't get a hundred and thirty. Keep in mind, I got like seven. 000. So,
0: to the contrary, here's what was told to me by your lawyer at the time, Keith Davidson, is that at first he asked for two hundred thousand, and of course, as a former negligence malpractice lawyer, you never take the first offer. And so I said, he, Donald will never do that. All right, so let's get real. Okay, let me call up my client and then I'll get back to you. His comment to me, this is Keith Davidson's comment to me that you wanted to clear 130,000. And since he was on a retainer, um, a contingency fee retainer, he needed the 30,000 for his fee so that you could, um, clear the 100. That's where the $130,000 came from. I would like to take credit and say that I'm this great negotiator when it comes to NDAs for, you know, hush money payments, but it wasn't me. I'm not the one who came up with the money. It was actually your, it was actually your attorney that came up with the money. such
1: a strange number. I never understood it. I was like, what a bizarre... Neither did I. And you know what? I met Keith Davidson for the first day when he showed up at the set that I was directing a movie on with your final paperwork and asked me to sign it. I never even met the man before that. He said you reached out to him.
0: Well, that's also not true. Um, You may remember in 2011, I was contacted through... um, I think it was either... David Pecker or through somebody in touch magazine, it was somebody when you wanted an article um, about in the dirty removed. That was the first time I ever spoke to Keith Davidson, who told me that he was representing you and that his client wanted this um, off the Internet and that they were going to need a statement from Mr. Trump that the allegations in it are not accurate uh, in order to have it removed and taken down.
1: Yeah. See, I never met him then either. I think that we had a phone call with the girl who was my manager and he was her go-to guy at the time. And I, I, I mean, I definitely wasn't responsible for that because if I was going to release an article about that, that was the worst timing. I had just given birth and had a C-section and did not need to be photographed. Trust me, you're a dad. And I'm sure your wife would have been horrified if people were trying to take pictures of her, like right after having her baby. It was not a good look for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I listen, I fully get it. But at least now I finally know where the numbers came from, because I to this day, until you just told me, I honestly, I could not tell you how the number 130 came to be. I and, never um, but I do want to say that I I'm aware that you have a, um, a new show that's coming on YouTube called Spooky Babes. How uh-huh. did you come to realize that you had a talent for ghost hunting? Was it was it when you were going into Trump's underpants?
1: So I get asked a lot in interviews and they're like, aren't you scared? I'm like, I've seen Trump naked. Nothing scares me anymore. (laughs) So I'm the best person for the job, I guess. Uh, I've seen I've I've been face to face with evil in the most intimate way. You know, uh, demons don't scare me anymore. But the real story behind that is uh, I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. That's, you know, common knowledge. And I moved back there uh with the my then partner i was dating a journalist at the time i'm sure we all know who that is and we moved into a house in the garden district that turned out was extremely haunted and everybody will tell you knew all of new orleans is haunted I, you know it just depends on to what degree i've never seen any other place in the world where they put for rent signs outside and clear and put on haunted or not haunted usually you see like washer and dryer that says ghost or no ghost in new orleans Um, and we moved into this house and I was some, I was kept saying like, something's not right here. We were hearing noises, just, just stuff. And he kind of pushed it away, but the house definitely was more aggressive towards him. And a lot of stuff happened. And I ended up putting cameras in the house and filming a lot of it. And turns out like he, he lasted about five weeks in the house before he went completely off the rails and moved out. And and I was there for longer because um, as we all know, I'm more stubborn. <laughs> Um, But it just kept escalating and my ex tried to convince me that I was crazy and I was imagining it. but we had investigation you know come in and, and I have some pretty incredible footage. But that we started the show because when the stuff started happening, I reached out. I was not like a paranormal TV show fan. I didn't know any of the people in the shows. So I didn't know where to turn to be like, can somebody come over here and tell me what the hell's going on? Do I have just loud pipes or is what I'm seeing and hearing real? And nobody responded to me, like nobody would help me. And I don't know if that's just a general thing, that there's not enough people to help people if they think that there's something paranormal going on in their home or if it was because of who I am. But nobody responded to me and it escalated to the point where I was having some severe health problems. And I watched a television. I watched a documentary called Hell House by Zach Baggins. and um, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is all the same stuff. Like the same symptoms, unexplained, like physical symptoms." And I was like, "Well, you know what? I have to know what's going on. I need to prove to myself that I'm not just insane." And so we had the intention just to go to a couple famous locations. I was going to put it on my website or YouTube, just you know, whatever. And that's when stuff I started to really see and believe and meet other people and. Um, the running joke is that I'm ghost bait because they seem to be very active when I'm around, but we've got some pretty incredible footage.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the debut on that one, but you know, talk about debuts. I do want to, if you can walk my listeners through how you and Trump met for the very first time in 2006, I'm aware it was in Lake Tahoe. That's correct. Right. There was some golfing event.
1: Uh, yes, it was,
0: uh, well, why were you there? How did you get, t- tell, tell us all the whole story on how you first met Donald Trump.
1: So I was under contract as a writer, as a writer, director, performer for Wicked Pictures, which was, you know, this is before piracy really destroyed anyone in the entertainment business. Um, and we were, you know, Wicked was the biggest company out there. and There was a charity golf tournament and, <laughs> Trust me, I appreciate the hilarity and the irony of the fact that Wicked Pictures sponsored a hole. (laughs) So (laughs) on the golf course, we were at a sponsored hole.
0: Listen, I'm going to control myself because I don't want my listeners to crash the ones that are driving right now.
1: Right. So we sponsored a hole. I was a sponsored hole. Insert your own joke. I understand. And, you know, so all the celebrities would come around as they play golf. And when they got to every hole, we gave them water and towels and that picture opportunity and and that kind of thing. And so obviously Trump stopped at the thing and I could tell he liked me. I mean, there was four of us there, um, all, you know, beautiful girls and he definitely was looking at me and then fast forward to later in that afternoon, there was like a, you know, a gift room where celebrities go and get pictures and get gift bags and whatever. And we were at the wicked pictures booth and he came by to get stuff and he started talking to me. And at some point, It came up a conversation that I was, uh, you know, we were being introduced. This is our contract girl, such and such. This is our contract girl, such and such. And this is our contract director and performer, Stormy Daniels. And he was like, oh, so you're the smart one. You direct and stuff too. And I said, yeah. And long story short, uh, he walked away and his bodyguard came back and said, Mr. Trump would like to know if you would have dinner with him tonight. And I, he's like, can I get your number? And so I gave him my number, but I was still just like, absolutely not. This is not happening and I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to go out with him. Like I had somebody I was dating at the time I was single, but I I had somebody that I was dating and I liked, I wasn't, you know, married or anything. And I was talking to him and he was like, you should totally go. He's a businessman. Like he's never, he's too famous to try anything with you. And I was like, okay. So I remember, you know, fast forward to that night and it actually worked out well, because it got me out of going to something else that I didn't want to go to. So he, you know, I went up to, he was in a different hotel. So I actually had to take a car over to where he was staying. And he said, just come up to the room and we'll go down and get dinner. Cause there was, you know, restaurants in the hotel that he was staying in. So I said, okay. So I get there and I go up and, um, his bodyguard also named Keith was standing outside the door. And he was like, oh yeah, he's almost ready. Just go on in. And the rest is, uh, you know, turned into a horror movie.
0: Well, the rest we're going to get into, but the funny thing is, I had heard the story from him that he was playing golf with Big Ben Roethlisberger, the um, the quarterback, and that it almost became like a competition because supposedly Big Ben um, liked you, or that you were flirting with Big Ben, and then somehow that, of course, um, being an alpha male that he is had to then try to figure out how he was going to become the alpha male again. And it had something to do with talking about maybe trying to get you onto the apprentice or or something or something like that. And I guess you're referring to Keith Schiller, who's the one that you were communicating with in order to um, have the very first encounter with Trump.
1: I will state for the record, which is another misconception about it is that, like, talking about escorting or that I was going to have sex with him or that it was a date or there was any exchange of money was never discussed. Um, He didn't offer me money. I did not request money. I did not go there for sex. He didn't even mention sex. Um, It wasn't implied in any way. And I was not paid to have sex with him.
0: Right. Which I, I read that also in the book. Seems like every day, everywhere, practically everyone is connected on their devices. In fact... The average person was connected almost seven hours a day last year and 64% of adults admit to taking online risks for convenience. And all that browsing, sharing, banking and shopping makes life easy, but it can also expose personal information, making you vulnerable to cyber criminals. There's a lot to your digital life that can put you at risk. That's why Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to help keep it safe. With device security to help block hackers from devices, a VPN for online privacy, and Lifelock identity theft protection to help you keep what's yours, yours. No one can prevent all cybercrime or identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with the all in one protection of Norton 360 with Lifelock, you can be less worried about becoming another stat. Save 25% or more off your first year at norton.com slash Cohen. That's norton.com slash Cohen to save 25%. So we understand the first, how the encounter first came about um, and how you originally met. How was the first date even arranged? Was it arranged through Keith Schiller? Was he texting you? Were you texting back? Is that how the...
1: It was so simple. He just said he'd wants to know if you'd like to have dinner tonight. You know, it was so short and quick. It was the same night, um, that uh, the night of the day that I met him. And I just... Wait, wait,
0: wait, hold You just said short and quick. We're going to get to that in the bedroom (laughs) first. But um, why did you end up going up to his room in the first place?
1: Honestly, because I thought we were going to go downstairs and have dinner. And I thought of it as a way to have an interesting conversation and get me out of something. I didn't want to go. an event that I didn't want to go to. And I was like, Oh, it's a public place. And, you know, my publicist at the time was like, he's so famous. He's not going to try anything. Just go meet him for dinner. Just stay out, you know, stay in the public. So that's, you know, he asked me to come up to his room to meet him. And the plan was to either walk downstairs to one of the restaurants in the hotel and take a car. It was, I gotta be honest. It wasn't very clear. I assumed we would eat in one of the restaurants there. Cause it was a beautiful hotel with, plenty of places to eat
0: you ended up eating dinner in the room
1: no fuck that he still owes me dinner I sat there for three and a half hours and didn't even get a snack
0: well wait wait. so you go into the room and you're supposed to wait for him to finish what was he doing that you were kicking around for three and a half hours
1: oh so when I got there he wasn't ready to walk down yet and I was dressed to the nines because I thought we were going to a you know restaurant and he wasn't ready i think he said that he'd been on a call could i just wait for a second and he came to the door in his like pajamas and i fucking made fun of him and told him to go put some clothes on he was like i'm sorry you know i'm so sorry i had a phone call and he went and got dressed and he came out in a you know a tie and the whole thing so i just assumed we were going to go down and he was like, All right, give me a second. Let's figure out what we want to eat. And we were, the, his hotel, and I, this, it's burned into my memory. It was, you know, you walked in and there was a, a foyer and a living room over here and a, and a dining area over here. And we sat at the dining room table and we started talking. And then he was like, Maybe we should just order something up to the room so that people don't bug us. And um, this conversation is, is, you know, good. And I have to tell you, Michael, that he was arrogant and he was a pain in the ass. But the conversation that I had with him in 2006 does not seem like the same human being that was elected to office. Like he didn't make up words. He spoke in complete sentences. He was an asshole because he was arrogant until I checked him hard. And we all know that I famously spanked him and was just basically a raging bitch to him at first until he knocked it down a couple of pegs. But then we went on to have a very good conversation about a wide variety of things. He asked me about, you know, just stuff like, um, unions in the adult business do we have a thing like SAG um how are royalties made And I had to explain to him there are no royalties in porn and he had millions of questions about that he was all in a tizzy about um a golf course and I might be wrong but I want to say that it was in Ireland and he was having a problem because there was some sort of protected plant and he was like oh the fucking conservationist and you know so he was talking about the ins and outs and all the things you have to go through with the environmentalists when you're building a golf course and you know it was a it was a very much business conversation and that's what led to him asking about the celebrity apprentice he was like people would be really shocked if they knew all this business stuff that goes into to your part of the industry he's like you're really smart and and that's when he said the famously you remind me of my daughter which was not creepy you know that was spun by the media and i hate to do anything that that paints him in a less negative light because he can go fuck himself. But when he told me that I, I reminded him of Ivanka, it was not sexual at all. That's why when that happened later in the night, I was so shocked because there was absolutely no cues leading up to that he was going to make a pass.
0: I don't care what you say; it's fucking creepy to me. All <laughs> right, uh, I'm not sitting. I'm not sitting in a hotel room with you know an adult film star talking about how she's reminding me of my daughter, right? I mean, there are many things that I would say that you remind me of, but that would not probably come first to mind. That's just a fucking creepy thing to say.
1: It is like that, but in the moment and in the context of the conversation, it actually was not even a red flag for me. He was like, my daughter gets discriminated against a lot. You remind me of her. You're smart and beautiful and people underestimate you. And you should do, you know, you should think about doing The Celebrity Apprentice. And so, like, if you were in the context of the situation and realize how far away he was sitting from me, it was significantly less creepy than it's been painted to be.
0: Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so describe if you would like the atmosphere, you know, what was what was he doing mostly? It was almost like a quiz, like a question and answer. He was yeah. almost playing that role of celebrity apprentice is sort of um Donald Trump interviewing.
1: No, I mean he asked a lot of questions, you know, and even this the you know, he prefaced a lot of them was like, Tell me if I'm being too intrusive, you know, but what do you make and how do you get paid and um royalties and you know percentages and do they give you is there like I told you he asked about unions and it was a very like he was very interested and it felt like genuine interest, you know. Um it was a good conversation back and forth.
0: He was wearing his suit at the time, right?
1: Yeah so there was
0: no reason to think that anything was going to be happening.
1: No, absolutely not. And I and I began to open up and you know people were like, Were you drunk? or and I was like he he doesn't drink to my knowledge because all we had was bottled water. There was no drugs or alcohol involved whatsoever at the time. I didn't even drink. I don't even think there was alcohol in his room. I knew I didn't see any. And uh, I began to get comfortable because he wasn't coming on to me. So, I, you know, he got a little bit nicer after I spanked him, which was also not sexual, if you can believe that. And I opened up and was like, yeah, you know, I had to fight really hard to be taken seriously as a, a director in the business because people thought that I was just a bimbo and. Um, there wasn't a lot of female directors in porn at the time, especially ones that did big scripted movies. I've directed three out of the five biggest films, um, made in my era. So I started to let my guard down and, and say, yeah, you know, I came from where I came from. And I often, we didn't, I mean, you read the book, uh, didn't have food or electricity and I fought really hard and I didn't want to go back to that. And I my he goes, well, what do you want to do with your life? Like after the adult business, And I was like, well, my dream is to be a director. Uh, I want to direct music videos and horror movies. And I'm not trying to be Steven Spielberg or anything like that, but I would like to continue directing. I, I love to write and direct and I'm actually really good at it. And, that's, you know, when he was like, oh, yeah, you got to fight for it. You should go on Celebrity Apprentice. And I was like, I'll never win. And that's when he taught, started talking about it. He goes, yeah, but we can guarantee that you at least make it to the middle. I'll, I'll tell you what the challenges is. So he, he was talking about throwing Celebrity Apprentice in my favor. There's so many things that he talked about with me that were so fucking illegal that nobody ever touches upon. And so I was like, okay, yeah. And that's that was my mistake, was that I let him know too much about... My insecurities and my fears that I didn't want to be just called a whore for the rest of my life with nothing to show for it. You know, like I wanted to transition into being considered a, a legitimate director in the mainstream world. And he, you know, he fluffed my ego at that point and was like, I think you can do it. I have since done it, but, um, you know, this was a long time ago. And that is the moment that he used against me. And I, there's part of this story that is not in the book because I didn't remember. And I don't understand why none of the journalists for all of these years never asked me the most important question. And that is I excused myself to go to the ladies room because at this point I drank a few bottles of water and I literally just had to pee (laughs) happens. Yeah. He's like, go through there. The restrooms over there. And I went to the bathroom completely just to use the bathroom and I expected him to be sitting at the table where I had left him sitting. And when I came out, I was genuinely like startled to see him waiting for me. I just froze and I didn't know what to say.
0: So Stormy, when, he came, when you came out of the bathroom, where was he and what was he wearing?
1: He had stripped down to his underwear and was perched on the bed doing his best yet horrifyingly disturbing impression of Burt Reynolds.
0: Understood. Interesting. Um, and let me ask you this. Quick. When it came down to sex, how was it initiated with him? Because you said that, again, you excuse yourself to go to the bathroom. When you returned to the bedroom, um, he was getting ready, you know, had gotten undressed. Did he actually take off his his shirt as well? Was he just in his underwear? Or was he in his tidy whities with a T-shirt on? Because yeah. I've seen him a hundred times in those tidy whities with that white Hanes t-shirt. And That's so exactly. on. I, I, I have a hard time believing that he would take it off because obviously one thing that we know, he doesn't, he's not built too well, but take us there. And if you can really describe how well, you know, how it all went down and how the sex ultimately became initiated, because let me just share something with you knowing Trump the way that I do all of that, background bullshit that he was feeding you about general interest in you and what you were doing, horses, children, the directing porn royalties. That's all bullshit. That's all the, that's all the massage. That's foreplay to Donald Trump, right? This is how he was getting you, um, you know, to believe that he's not a creep, right? Instead, he knew exactly why he was. He never had intentions on going downstairs to go for dinner right the only thing that you caused him to do is to have to get redressed into his suit right as opposed to just you coming in while he's sitting in his underwear or in a bathrobe or whatever else he was in but if you would just take us there and if you would really describe for my listeners how it all went down and how the sex was initiated
1: that's the thing is like i for years i couldn't remember those moments um I couldn't remember how I got from standing in that bathroom doorway to underneath him on the bed. Like I couldn't remember how my dress came off or how my shoes got off because I know I took my shoes off because I clearly remember putting them back on and they were buckled. Like there were the gold strappy heels that were not easy to, you know, I couldn't take them off. And I just, there's like 60 seconds where I just had no recollection of it and it's not in the book and nobody really wanted to ask about it. They just wanted to know the details of what his, appendage or lack of appendage look like and i was like it really bothered me for like years like i I definitely wasn't drinking so i'm like why don't i remember this and i'll never forget this moment i went um to see that movie bombshell and suddenly it just came back and i remember like coming out and thinking oh fuck how did i get myself in this situation and i remember even thinking i could definitely fight his fat ass i could definitely outrun him there's a bodyguard at the door, but I wasn't threatened. I was not physically threatened. Um, and then so I tried to sidestep and go around and kind of like, uh, oh, very cute and like very uncomfortable like that. norm. And I was like trying to remember really quickly where did I leave my purse? Like I, I got to get out of here. And I went to sidestep and he stood up off the bed and was like, this is your chance. And I was like, what? And he was like, you need to show me how bad you want it. Or do you just want to go back to the trailer park?
0: Wow. Talk about hitting low. You said that. You were underneath him. Are you sure about that one? Yes. Right? You're, you're under... Really? And I survived. So actually... <laughs> and survived. Wow. It's hard to, hard to believe. You're sure about that one, though, right?
1: Uh-huh. 100%.
0: Would you characterize Trump as a thoughtful lover or at all interested in pleasing you? Or did he just sort of jackhammer away until he was just finally finished?
1: Jackhammer would imply that there was some sort of technique it was just a like weird thumb, like, and it didn't last very long, but he was, he did keep saying the creepiest thing to me. He kept saying, cause I remember laying there and staring at the lamp and just like laying there like this, like totally like in shock, I think. And he just kept saying, Oh, Oh, we're so good together. We're perfect together. We're so good together. Aren't we honey bunch? And I I don't. Good thing I hadn't actually had dinner because I probably would have vomited. That was it. And then he asked me to sign a DVD for him, which was even stranger.
0: Well, let me ask you what position did you guys have sex in? Was it one or multiple? Just
1: one, one. Just lay there for like 30 seconds, like straight, horrified missionary, like Mormon sex. I don't know.
0: Was And how long did the whole thing last? What? How long was the you're, entire you're encounter? Telling, them- I don't know. You wrote it in the book and, you know, I, I read it and I'm sitting there and obviously I know all the parties, so I'm just curious, you know, one of the things that always fascinated me was being in the business that you're in, you've been with some of the great, you know, lovers, some of the marathoners, so to speak, yeah. right? Um, in, in history. And Donald Trump being the alpha male and always somebody that has to be the best at whatever it is that he does. He always has to portray that he's the best. I always found it odd that he would even try because there's no way that he knows that he could compete with even, you know, a newbie in your industry. First of all, it's not just the fact that he probably just can't. It's just the fact that between age, between capabilities, it just, to me, I never understood why he even tried when you know that you're going to fail.
1: Yeah, and I don't know what's more disturbing, that if if what he was doing was not even trying, or worse, was he actually trying and that was the best? I don't know. You know... (laughs) but it was the worst 90 seconds of my life for sure. Cause it just made me hate myself. And the worst part about all of this is, you know, I've I'm a porn star. Obviously I've had days where I didn't want to have sex. Maybe I was, didn't feel well or the, you know, the guy didn't take a shower correctly or I was on my period, whatever. If you want to get gross, like there are plenty of days that I didn't want to do it. I'm sure there's plenty of days. Well, if you worked for Trump. I'm sure you didn't want to go to your job most days. So there's always, you know, days where you don't want to do it, whatever, but this made me really fucking hate myself because I didn't say no. And I didn't say anything for years because I didn't remember. And then when my story came out, there was that space between that day in 2015 or not, when, when this, you know, when all of this started to, to happen. And in that timeline, there are so many other women that said that they had these experiences. And one of them just recently came out. I believe her name was Amy, right? Is that right? And her story is identical to mine. And it was just fucking horrifying to me because, you know, and then there's the story about the girl, what is she with like that 13 year old girl. So there's all these women that
0: I just read that story. Yeah. If there's
1: all these women that if I had said something, could I have prevented even just One of them and maybe they still would have made the same decision but but as of now i every day i get up and i carry the weight of those girls like it's my fault because i didn't say anything
0: look yeah i'm I'm not sure We, we all rationalize and we put a lot of blame on ourselves for what we could have done what we couldn't have done nobody does that more than i do on a daily basis you know so much of the stuff that i do so much of the stuff that i say i do it a lot of people want to you know shit on me and turn around and say you know fuck you you're only doing it simply because you know you're angry that he's not paying your legal bills well, oh, yeah, you know, like even in the matter in California, he pay when legal we were, I mean, that's the whole thing. And that's why these five um, attorneys left him as well. He doesn't pay legal mm-hmm. bills and he has a very warped sense of what's right and what's wrong and so on. But I, I do it because I need to make amends, not just with my wife, my, my children and my country, but actually I'm trying really hard to make amends with myself. Like the first time that this happened, I probably should not have gotten involved in it in the first place. Not my business. I wasn't there in 2006. You know, whatever he wants to do, he wants to cheat on his wife. That's his fucking prerogative, not mine. And then when it's, things started, as you know, started really heating up, um, that's when I should have turned around and I should have walked away instead of allowing him to... Convinced me with Alan Weisselberg that I should put down the $130,000, which simply, it wasn't even about the money. I had more than enough money to pay it. It was simply because I shouldn't have gotten involved. That's his dirty deed, and I should not have gotten involved into it. And then would that have stopped him maybe from being president and doing uh, so much of the corrosive, divisive, racist, sexist, misogynistic shit that the guy does on a daily basis? I I don't know. And by the way, the same with you, we'll never know the answer to it. You know, we each have to make our amends the way that, we, that we're that we going to try to do the best for ourselves moving forward. But, you know, look, at least you seem like me to try to find some humor into it. And since we're on humor, I'm going to continue to ask you, is he a groaner or just a heavy breather? Oh, God. <laughs> you see, I'm making you smile there.
1: Definitely a grunter. grunt. Huh.
0: Grunt. <laughs> Well, that wasn't one of the questions, but all right. So he's not a groan, he's not a heavy breather, he's a grunter. Now, I do want to ask you, after you guys did have sex, was there any sort of post-coitus pillow talk, or did he get up immediately? Describe after.
1: I got up immediately, and he said some stuff that I honestly, at this point, I remember him asking me if he could get my, you know, if he could call me. It was, I just, he did try to talk to me, it wasn't, but I just wanted to leave and it almost sounded like he was talking like the teacher in the Snoopy cartoons or, you know, the Charlie Brown teacher. I just, I can't even tell the, you wow, what was wow, said. Wow. I just wow. felt like my head was going to. Yeah.
0: Did he mention at all that he was married? Was there any talk about family while you guys were together other than the mention of Ivanka?
1: Oh yeah. And it's, that's all in the book too. Like he showed me a picture of his, of, of his son, like with his little comb over and everything. And, I was like, oh, but I didn't say what does your wife think about this because at that t- at that part in the timeline, sex wasn't a thing. I just thought we were having a business dinner. that was it, but he showed me a picture
0: and, w- and what did you say to it when he showed it to you?
1: Oh, I just said he was really cute and you know I just said I just said, oh, he's really cute, how old is just normal stuff you know
0: now I had on this show I had Stephanie Winston Wolkoff who wrote the book called Melania and me, and in that um, conversation, one of the things um you know that melania had called you was a porn hooker how would you like to respond to melania referring to you in such a way what would you say to her if the two of if the two of you were sitting face to face
1: i don't know if i could understand her first of all but i'll say the same thing to her face that i said on twitter like she's exact same thing i am but at least i only sell my pussy on film she sold her soul
0: okay now Oh, that's, that's, I mean, that's one interesting way of putting it. You know, many people, many people say that to her. You may recall that many years ago uh, there was a reporter that said to her, you know, uh, would you have married Donald Trump if he wasn't a billionaire, if he wasn't rich? And she responded back to the journalist that, do you think he would have married me if I didn't look this way? So I guess in light of your comment, it certainly, you know, makes perfect sense you know, in, in your book, you described his penis as being like a mushroom from Super Mario Brothers. I read the book, right? I mean, I was just curious. And I was kind of, in one way, I was flattered. In another way, I was actually insulted that I appeared in so many different pages of the, of the book. But how, how were you able to put yourself in the mood to have sex with somebody that you find so physically repulsive? Because you talk at length about that in the book.
1: I was not in the mood. I didn't think I was going to have sex with him. I wasn't prepared to do that. I didn't think that was going to happen. And I fucking hate myself for it. You know, I was not in the mindset.
0: You shouldn't hate yourself for it. It's a, it's a moment and it's a, it's a, it's a difficult situation. You know, people don't realize how difficult the situation is around Trump when you're dealing with that, High profile. Am I right about this? That celebrity sort of, um, scenario. It's, it's, and there's a, a force that he sort of, whether it's his appearance, whether it's his size, whether it's, I, I don't know, but he manages to get people to do things in all genres that they probably wish that like myself I certainly wish that there are many things that I did for him that I wish that I didn't but you know you you certainly describe his penis as small you describe it as mushroom shaped and
1: I want to address that because that was one of the things I struggled with writing the book and I am not someone to body shame you know what I mean or um I I felt a little bad about doing it. And I only included those very graphic, explicit descriptions because he had already called me a liar and people were calling me a liar. And so I was very adamant about saying something that would prove that I was correct. You know, if he had a, if he had a birthmark on his, stomach the shape of texas i'd have been that's what i would have said you know what i mean because let's be honest all he has to do to prove that i'm not lying is drop his pants but he hasn't done that has he because he knows i'm telling the truth i wish i could have been like oh he has three moles on his right thigh or something it was you know equivalent to that and i was a little bit nastier than i would normally be with someone i would never you know i've i've had a lot of bad sex with people and i don't shame them or make fun of them and because it's just not the right thing to do. It's bad karma. And I don't do that. But he had already attacked me so viciously that I wanted to say something that was without a doubt. She wouldn't know this unless she had seen it kind of thing. And that's why I did it. And But, you know, I don't regret doing it. I wish I'd had another option of something to describe, but that's all I had. And it's burned into my memory. And I apologize to anyone that has suffered or I apologize to mushrooms across the world for this (laughs) and super Mario (laughs) brother fans. Cause I, I have had people come up to me and be like, you ruined Mario Kart for me. (laughs) Like they're angry. (laughs) Um, so there's that, but, uh, you know, it's, it's the after stuff. Yeah. People, he's out of office now one day, you know, although I still think we have some pretty big bumps in the road coming. I mean, the people are, people are crazy. Um, but one day people will be able to forget about this and go on with their lives. And, you know, you obviously touched upon the fact that you have a lot to make up to your family for and your wife and this and that, but at least you still have a wife, you know, I'm probably going to die alone because of this, because no matter who I date, being a porn star is hard enough. Like, but that takes out 50% of people there. Like people are, you know, insecure about being with me, you know, that they can't pretend I'm a virgin or or their guy friends are going to be like, no, they've seen me naked. Some that takes half the dating pool off the table right there. But now, who's going to want to go out with me when they are Eskimo brothers with the Orange Goblin? You know. And even if you can find somebody who is secure enough in that and doesn't care, like I was fortunate enough to meet and fall in love with somebody that was perfect for me. You know, over the summer and who I am and this whole thing was used against him in regards to his family. And so he had to walk away and it's just going to keep happening.
0: No, I'm going to turn around and tell you that I see, I see better things in the days to come. And I don't believe that you will end up by yourself for, you know, the rest of our natural lives. I think you'll find somebody that will love you for who you are, regardless of the interlude with Donald Trump.
1: You know, I already did, but anyway, with the loss of his children and blackmailed, basically. Then, you know.
0: Well, there will be there will be others. Trust me, I trust me. I know I know these things. There will there will be others. But I do also want to bring up that you actually told Seth Rogan about sleeping with Donald Trump on the set of the Forty Year Old Virgin. But at the time, it wasn't at all shocking because he wasn't running for president, and it just seemed appropriate to his character. How did that conversation come about?
1: Oh gosh, I don't even remember. You know what? I, I want to say that it was probably prompted by a phone call from 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 Trump. And I, I can't remember if it was actually a year old version or a sudden knocked up. I can't remember. I mean, it's so long ago. But I do remember having the conversation. That's the whole point. Like, I just didn't suddenly come forward with this story. I just didn't suddenly invent this wild tale or this lie. Literally hundreds of people knew. As it was, you know, like, Trump had this uncanny knack of calling me when I was on set in the makeup chair like it was like he had the sixth sense to be like oh you know and I used to like the girls would be doing my makeup and my best friend was my makeup artist and she's actually given quotes before you know he would call and I would be, you know, they'd be trying to do my face. So I'd put him on speakerphone and set the phone there. Literally a hundred people knew about this. It was not a secret. I didn't just invent this when he started running for president. As a matter of fact, when he first announced that he was thinking of running two things went through my mind. <laughs> he doesn't even want to be president. He told me he didn't. And two, fuck, I hope this doesn't come back around because now I am married with a child and have started this other life. And i I was wrong on both counts. Obviously, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you.
0: Right. Well, let me ask you this, because Trump then um, asked you to meet him again in 2007. That's about a year after the first encounter in Utah at the Beverly Hills Hotel to discuss you coming on to The Apprentice. And you then went to his bungalow and wound up watching Shark Week. Did he try and put the moves on you again?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why I had my guy outside the door. I was, I, I came with a plan that time. I had a getaway car out front. I kept deflecting, told him I was on my period, like all that, all of the things. And that was actually, you know, I saw him, I went to his office as well, but I made sure that I brought somebody with me. I didn't go alone, his office in New York. And we talked about once a week for a year, because it was all about celebrity apprentice and he kept stringing me along. And at one point I was like, I fucking don't want to talk to this monster anymore. I know he's stringing me along at the other side. I was like, I already am so in it that I want to at least get what was promised out of it, you know? And then he called me and said that it was a no go. And I, at that point had become more serious and was engaged to be married to somebody. And I just honestly stopped answering his calls and he gave up a couple of weeks later and I didn't ever heard from him again. And it was all done and whatever. And then when he announced the first time that he was thinking, thinking about running for president in 2011, you know, everybody's like, Oh my God. And somebody else contacted in touch and got the full story and they came to me. So, All of these times, it was never a secret. I didn't invent it, but at the same time, I didn't go and try to sell it. And if I had, as you can now attest, I would have asked for more than $130,000, which is the most bizarre fucking number.
0: Yeah, it was a bizarre number. Then after Keith Davidson, uh, I remember the day that Michael Avenatti then came on board with this. Yes, we both roll our eyes when we hear (laughs) that name. Um, Fucking asshole. You know... Can you describe how things between you and Avenatti went wrong? When did you realize that he was not the person that you thought he was?
1: A week after I met him, but I can't say too much because I have this, you know, the big legal case coming up with him and I'm not, I have to be careful on this one. Um, So I originally was supposed to meet with an attorney. Nobody wanted to talk to me for obvious reasons. Everyone was afraid and I didn't have, you know, a huge amount of money to put down for a retainer. So I was originally supposed to meet with this other guy named Sean and I went to LA and a couple hours before I got a message that from him saying, actually, I'm, I'm going to have you meet my associate instead. I think he's a better fit. He knows more about politics. same as is, you know, Michael Avenatti. And I didn't even know who he was and I didn't have a chance to do any research or anything. And I walked in and literally it felt like a scene when, Keanu Reeves walks into the office for the first time for devil's advocate, like he was there and he was in his suit and he looked so handsome and, you know, and we had a cocktail and, you know, he was flirty and, you know, my assistant was gaga over him at the time. And um, he said all the right things and was willing to take the case and uh, all of that stuff. And I kind of just always, I gotta be honest, I always had a weird feeling in my gut and I was People think that he and I slept together or whatever, but I can tell you, I was never once, not one time was I ever alone with him. As a matter of fact, I was usually with him with my entire team, two bodyguards, my manager, Dwayne, um, you know, Denver, like my boyfriend. Like I usually had at least, at least two people in the room with me every time I was with him.
0: Was it something about him that made you want to travel with that entourage? What was that?
1: Uh, he hired the bodyguards, you know, I, what I did get shot at, I did have death threats, uh, you know, all of that stuff, they were necessary, but I could have easily asked them to leave us. Could can have a conversation, attorney, client conversation. And I just was never comfortable being alone with him. And he got very controlling. He wanted to control all aspects of my, you know, cancel this dance booking, cancel this. And I was like, this is my fucking job. And these bookings were in place. Like, that's the other thing is people think I just randomly started stripping. You don't randomly start stripping at 39 years old. There's a lot of hail damage going on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is the clubs I had been to five, six times before. You know, this wasn't new. Yeah. I started getting paid more, but these were places I'd been to for 10 years. Um, but he was like, cancel this Do He was like, and even to this day, I'm still finding out from like producers and things. Oh, I really wanted you on this show. or I wanted to offer you this part in this movie. And my uncle Avenatti never got back to us. Like he tried to control my entire existence. You know, he showed up at my Vogue photo shoot and ended up in the magazine with me. (laughs) Right. You know, it's like he he became very... He was almost the controlling boyfriend. And and I, you know, I didn't want any part of that. And there was a lot of stuff that went down with my daughter and custody stuff and my ex that he really made the situation a lot worse. It's all going to come out, but I have to, like just leave it at that for now.
0: Right. Because there were a few things that he had done um, towards me, which I just found one in particular was the weirdest. I was out for dinner with my son and um, a friend of mine and his son. um, And it was like uh, 1030, 1040. And while everybody's beginning to leave the restaurant, he just showed up. Now talk about an odd. And it's not it's not one that you know, I presume that he's ever been to before or a staple for him. Somehow somebody tipped him off that I was there and he wanted to sit and engage me in a conversation because he had his own aspirations. In many respects, when it came to the media, Avenatti was the exact same as Donald Trump. They both knew how to say crazy, wacky, um, stupid shit that would just get people all going and, um, be able to control the media. I mean, he really did control the media for quite some time, which is probably how, um, you know, a question I have for you, which is, being, and then we're going to start to wrap it up, but I know that he stole money from you um, regarding the book deal, and I know that that's, I'm not asking you to get into yeah. the sum and substance, but my question is, how did he manage to get the publishers um, to allow him to receive the check? as opposed to it coming directly to your own company. Is that part of his whole manipulation of trying to control your life?
1: Uh, He forged a document and gave it to the publisher.
0: Got it. All right. Now that makes perfect sense.
1: And I have all the proof. And um, I did get my first couple of checks because they were broken up into payments. But my last big check he intercepted by forging my signature and I have yet to see an accurate royalty statement because I know if my, I know I don't know how many copies my book has sold, but I know how many I have personally seen and signed. And it went to number seven on the bestseller. Um, I know that there's some money that's owed to me beyond the advance. And I have no idea how much that is because it's all tied up until I go to court with him.
0: Well, I want to wish you the absolute best. I think maybe the way that he showed up to my sentencing hearing, if I was evil like him, I would ask you to come join me wherever his sentencing is going to be so the two of us can do what he did, which is try to sit front row for it. I wouldn't do it. I, you know, um, I have no interest.
1: I would love to.
0: Okay, then Done. There you go. You know what? Done. If I'm, if I'm off home confinement and I'm allowed (laughs) to travel, 100%. I'll, I'd be more than happy. I'll take you. We'll go and we'll sit front row to his sentencing because some of the things that he said and some of the things that he did were so atrocious and, um, they're just lies. I mean, that's the whole thing. And you know, this the same way that I do. It's very hard to disprove a lie. Because there's a group of people out there that no matter what you say, they just refuse to acknowledge it. Like, for example, I have never been to Prague, right? I have never threatened Stormy Daniels. I would never threaten um, a a, a woman. I would never threaten anybody walking with a child. It's just not who I am. I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer who's the son of a head and neck reconstructive surgeon and the mother who's a surgical nurse, right? I'm not sending people off to go intimidate anybody else. As a lawyer, have I sued people on Trump's behalf? Yes. You, you know, whoever, we had an NDA, I ended up bringing the lawsuit, I was basing it off of legal documents. So once somebody lies about you, it's very difficult, and I'm sure you all attest to this, it's really difficult to undo that lie. And Certainly the press was having a field day with the guy because he was making news. I mean, he made so much news that he actually at one point in time decided he himself was going to run for president. I mean, if if that's not the it's that's it's almost as funny as Trump running.
1: How could I forget? He got so mad at me because I wouldn't endorse him.
0: <laughs> yeah, well. I'm glad you didn't, and I'm really thankful that you came on today. It's very nice to finally get a chance, so everybody out there understand this is the first time that I'm actually having the pleasure of meeting you, of speaking to you. You know, um, I'll send you a text message from every now and then, uh, but just, you know, please, most importantly, you know, stay safe and um, thank you for speaking out, and thank you for giving me a second chance. I do really appreciate it. Thank you. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.
1: This is my man.